time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's do it. Friday edition of the show. Dan McLaughlin with you. Scoops with Danny Mac. My guest will probably be Ryan Barnhart, the voice of the Fighting Illini as they kick off their season against Wisconsin tonight in college football. Big Ten is back in action, and that's nice to see that. Let's start with Game 3, though, of the World Series pitching matchup. I think this might be the best. If we don't get to a Game 7, this might be the best of the World Series. I like this one. Walker Bueller for the Dodgers, Charlie Morton for the Rays. So what have we learned so far from the first two games? In terms of offense, the Dodgers lineup, holy smokes. It's deep, it's powerful, it's patient. And on the other side, Rays, the Rays are trying to figure out their lineup without Randy Orozarena. And you're saying, Dan, hold on, Randy is in the lineup. I get it. Los Angeles isn't pitching to him which is what I said they needed to do going in this series. He's got three walks. He's one for six. They're attacking him with breaking balls. That's the adjustment he's going to have to make. Doing some numbers. I like to dig into those. They tell a story. 29 pitches he has seen so far in this World Series. Only seven have been fastballs. Only seven. Only six of those, by the way. Six of the seven are in the zone. Only one has been right down the middle. That's it. So he's seeing breaking balls. He's going to have to make that adjustment. So they're not missing at all either. Pitchers. Well, they're just not giving anything to hit. Yeah. Period. Nothing's in there. The Dodgers have sent, how about this, Scotty? 77 batters to the plate, five home runs, 11 walks, 26 strikeouts. So more than half of their plate appearances have resulted in a ball not being hit to a fielder. That's an incredible amount. The Rays are hoping that Nick Anderson is back on track. He had a key strikeout in game two. The Dodgers are hoping their young arms aren't worn out like we saw in game two. They tried to bullpen it, didn't work out. Sets the stage for what should be a fun game three tonight. All right, here we go. Gold Glove finalists were announced yesterday. The Cardinals had three. Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, Colton Wong. Notice I did not say the name of one Molina, nine-time Gold Glove winner. And let's just say that Yachty was none too pleased. Go to his Instagram, read it. I believe he's deleted it, but yesterday he was none too pleased. This year, in this shortened season, the gold gloves, by the way, determined in a different fashion than in years past. Usually there's a vote by human beings. This year, solely determined by numbers using Sabres defensive index. Okay? In Fangraph's defensive war, Molina ranked fifth in nationally catchers. In defensive runs saved, he was 7th. Framing metrics, 13th. He led all National League catchers, 5 errors. He trailed the three finalists in fielding percentage. He allowed three pass balls. He was 5 for 11 in attempted stolen bases. Now, those are the numbers. Here are the facts. He's the best defensive catcher in the game. He controls the running game. He manages his staff. He helped multiple pitchers through their Major League debuts this season. Those are the facts. Those don't show up for the geeks and the nerds that only look at numbers. I asked Cardinals manager Mike Schilt about what he means to the Cardinals, a pitching staff, and all the baseball. He sees the game as well as anybody I've ever seen, and that includes other managers. And I will also say this without any reservation, he sees the game better than, than I do. Now, he sees it from a different lens. And, I, and look, I could get into a longer conversation about, about what that looks like. But in the general terms, Danny, in the game itself, 
the intuition, the now is he always right? No, it's it's a game. It's hard, you know. But he's right a lot, and I trust him on. Um, but he sees things, the nuances of the game on the field, and he's able to, for an example, the double play he made. It was unbelievable. In the final, yeah. In the final game with the ground ball to Colton, force play at home, and he looks up and realizes that the runner had to stop a little bit for the ground ball, and we had the four to two to six double play. Don't see it every day. Stubby goes out, our first base coach, and is talking to Hosmer. And Hosmer says, comes up to him and says, hey, man, I can't believe I just saw that. <laughs> and Stubby's like, yeah, we see it almost every night. And that's the best way I can explain it. This is a guy that sees things that, that is really just amazing. I said geeks. I said nerds, by the way. I'm one of them. I love the numbers. I love sabermetrics. I love analytics. I'm one of them. I dive into them. I think it tells parts of the story, not all of it. If you went to any major league manager right now and said, hey, by the way, uh, I've got uh, the final three innings in game seven of the World Series. I need a defensive catcher behind the plate. You know who they'd say? Give me Yadier Molina. That's who they'd say. Period. End of story. And I think a big difference between analysts and professionals are the ones that say, hey, I can look at the numbers. I also know the facts and I can put them together rather than somebody at home saying, hey, look at the numbers. Dan, look at the numbers. This is what it's showing. But when you know the game and you know the facts, that's what separates it. It's bit of baseball, though. You have to have a mix of both. And that's what I've been trying to say. So when people ask me, well, how you do a game? This is how I do a game. I have to appeal to somebody that likes to hear about the 1960s. Tim McCarver stories. I have to appeal to the 1980 viewer. They love to hear about Whitey Herzog stories. I have to appeal to the young fan of today because they're diving into analytics and sabermetrics. So you mix it all in. I also think that's how you have to look at a player of today when you evaluate. It's not all just about the numbers. So they looked at the numbers this year to evaluate the Gold Glovers because we were separated geometrically um, because when you looked at it, uh, these teams didn't face each other, right? So you had to say, well, I didn't see Yadier Molina play in New York because we didn't see the New York Mets or the New York Yankees, right? So those guys didn't see each other. So they just said, well, just look at the numbers. And that's how they came up with the Gold Glove. That's how it came... that's how it happened. But if you asked human beings that watch this guy, this guy day in and day out, they'd say, that guy's a stud. I want him on my team. And if it came down to it in the final three innings and somebody to handle my closer and understanding how to pitch to the opposition, there's nobody better. He's that good. So just everybody relax, including myself. And yes, I'm a geek and a nerd, and I love sabermetrics, and I love analytics. I think they're awesome. There's a, there's a place for them in the game, a major place for it. Massive. But there's also the eyeball test, and there's also a place for the human being to say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. There has to be that part of it. It's just not black and white that here's the numbers, and that's why this guy's the best. I don't believe in that. So we move on. Ribs and BK had Carl Ravage of ESPN on their show yesterday. It's no secret at all. This is obvious. Cardinals have to improve their offense. And there's some pretty big names that are intriguing in terms of free agency. And he sized up what the free agency market may look like. George Springer is a free agent. Somebody is going to pay George Springer, whether it's the Cardinals 
the Mets, uh, the White Sox, the Red Sox. Somebody is going to pony up and pay him. And I, I believe players like that are going to get close to what they would have otherwise gotten because you're not paying George Springer for the one-year loss. You're paying George Springer for the next four years, six years, whatever it might be. And you've got to figure, like, uh, if this was a one-year deal, you may say, hey, George, we just lost X. Uh, we'd love to have you for $9 million, but you're not. You're looking at somebody of that talent for the next four years. So you're still going to climb up to 36, 42, whatever that number is, and he's going to get it. I, I think the players that are going to get hurt artists are going to be those those guys that generally sign later. Um, there's going to be less uh, because that's just the you know the economies of scale. That's fact. And you you could as a player take a one year deal, understanding that the economy in a in a good healthy world bounces back, and all these teams have more money to spend. Uh, for 2022, it's it's a difficult time to be a free agent for sure. I do think the better players will get their money. I think that others are going to find themselves earning a great deal less. And if I were a player uh, and I were that middle class, give me one year. Let me show you what I can do. When the economy turns around, I'm a free agent again. Springer has a career 845 OPS coming off a solid postseason. Let me throw some other names out there just for fun. And we'll see if the designated hitter is back in the National League. Nelson Cruz adds some thumb. How about Jock Peterson? 28 does one thing very well. That's destroy right-handed pitching. Career 352 on base percentage. Five upper slugging percentage against righties. Michael Brandley. He's 33, another Houston Astros, Mr. Smooth, very solid player, strikeout rate of only 10%. Those are some of the big names that are out there. There's going to be those that just want the one-year deal. Hey, how about Tommy LaStella? Yuena Cespedes, he's a free agent to be, left the Mets. Yasiel Puig, oh yeah, that's high on Scotty's list. List goes on and on. It'll be an offseason like no other. Thursday night football featured the Giants and the Eagles. And oh, my goodness, Daniel Jones. From the 12, Jones keeps, gets a block, takes off, and he is gone. Trying to stay upright, and he trips. Absolutely all alone, and he trips. Going to the end zone and ends up carrying it as it is. For 80. But a walking touchdown and he tripped himself. He's reading Brandon Graham out there and then he takes it and once he does it, there's just nobody left. Even Evan Ingram is out there blocking and this is the only way he doesn't score. It's been that kind of year for the Giants offensively. You know, we've said that we can't let that disappointment, you know, turn into discouragement or, or let that you know let that affect how we prepare and how we how we come back and you know how we improve as a team going forward first and goal plenty of time with the now two times remaining but the job gets a little bit tougher wax throws pass is caught touchdown to boston scott um, it's huge for our confidence, and we know it's a divisional game, so it's it's huge for uh, for the NFC East as well. <sighs> the NFC East, Carson Wentz and the Eagles now two and one atop the NFC East. The Giants now one and six. Again, you don't finish above five hundred in the NFC East. 
give the wild card to somebody else. No, we're going to see them in the playoffs, Dan. You're wrong. Tonight, it's the return of Big Ten football. Tomorrow, Mizzou plays Kentucky and Columbia. Mizzou hasn't beaten Kentucky, by the way, in five years. They're coming off a big win. Kentucky is, by the way, in Knoxville against a very good Tennessee team. And Mizzou coming off a big win against your LSU Tigers. Remember the Tigers, Mizzou, was supposed to play Florida tomorrow and then Vanderbilt last weekend, but because of COVID outbreaks, both games are rescheduled. Dave Matter was a guest of mine earlier this week, covers the Tigers for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The SEC, they were they were not so quick to pull the plug on the season, unlike those other conferences. They pushed back their start date to, to give uh, those campuses time to see those numbers kind of spike, which they, they did. Uh, especially here in Columbia, and then start the season a little bit later, maybe when the numbers start going down, which has happened here in Columbia, and, and then also build in those those bye weeks. They get the universal bye week on the week of December 12th, which Missouri has already filled with a game, and then every other every team gets their own bye week uh, for Missouri. That's November 7th. So, and they're even allowing teams to play December 19th, which is the weekend of the SEC championship game if they're not, you know, qualified for the championship game. So really you're getting three other weeks to make up games. And I think that's a smart way to do it. And then the teams, like we said, have been pretty cooperative and, and very decisive on, hey, they know, they, uh, like Missouri and Vanderbilt, they knew last, I think it was Monday, that, hey, this game's not going to happen. Um, let's just change it now and not spend all week worrying about things. So I think they have done it the, the right way. Will they get through the whole season without losing a game? That's the hope. You know, we're only four weeks into it, so we'll, we'll see what happens. And there's already been a lot of changes. But I do think they've figured out a way to go about it, and so far, so good. Meanwhile, the Big Ten gets it going tonight. Heather Denich covers college football for ESPN. Every single coach and administrator that I've spoken to this week is going into this eyes wide open, knowing that any team can be derailed any week because of the coronavirus pandemic. That being said, there is a conference-wide confidence in this daily antigen testing that they're doing. Even Purdue coach Jeff Brom, who announced earlier this week that he was diagnosed with COVID-19 and has suffered from symptoms, including fever, chills, and tightening of his chest. He said that this plan is working We're doing the best we can, and we know that there are going to be flare-ups here and there. It's a tightrope. It's eight weeks, all-conference games, no bye weeks for the team. So what does it mean for the sport? Kirk Herbstreet of ESPN. It's big. I mean, having done this since uh, whenever we started, I can't remember if it was late August or, or September, you know, I think the, the, the rest of the college football world that's been playing is eight. But to be candid, you know, traveling around the country and doing college game day, and, it's you know, it's it's – not been our traditional college game day, to say the least, you know, with our fans and signs and kind of the craziness that's, that's associated with uh, that show. And I've just felt just the, as a fan, you know, I've called games with Clemson and all, a lot of SEC teams, but it just does feel like the sport has had one foot in, one foot out a little bit with without the Big Ten and some of those big uh, brands not playing on Saturdays. So this is a this with that in mind for me anyway. I do feel like this is big. You know, we finally gotten to October 24th, and eventually we'll get to November 7th, and we'll get the the Pac-12 brands back involved. And there are differences in how the Big Ten is testing and how other conferences are doing their help. You guys know what's different with the Big Ten is these players are testing daily. And, you know, like what Nick Saban went through last week, he tested positive, and then 
it ended up being a, a false positive. He went through three or four other tests after that, and you guys saw him on the sidelines. And, and I asked uh, uh, some doctors within the Big Ten about that, and they said, yeah, we don't have that policy. If, if you test positive, and it's, even if it's a false positive, if you test positive, you're done, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, it's kind of a tightrope, you know, the very small margin of error for these players and coaches. Uh, so if anybody does test positive, they will not have that benefit of, well, well, maybe it was a false positive. Can I test again? It's You're out. You're out for three weeks. So that that's part of uh, what they had to do in order for the, the presidents and chancellors to mean like this. But that's something to keep in mind as you watch Big Ten play. You know, you're one positive test away of Justin Fields or whoever. Uh, from being out for three weeks on a very short season to begin with. So here's my question, Scotty. As it pertains to just football, my question would be this, and this is specifically for the college football playoff. We're already seeing it. It's extremely difficult to get through a season unscathed and not miss a game and reschedule. We're seeing that with Mizzou. They've already had two that had to be rescheduled. So the Big uh, Big Ten is trying to do this for eight straight weeks. Eight straight weeks with no bye weeks. That's tough. And on top of that, they have that 21-day testing. I would imagine it would be extremely difficult to pull this off. So it might happen. I hope it does. I hope we'll see it. And if it doesn't, let's say Ohio State plays only, let's say, five or six games. Okay? Let's say they only get five or six of their eight games. How do you keep a one-loss Georgia team out if they fulfill their schedule? And that's going to be a tough sell. When the voters start looking at a one-loss SEC team going against, and Ohio State might be a better team. I mean, they might be, but they've only played, let's say, five or six games because of how the schedule plays out, and they're 5-0. and oh. I, I don't see how that happens, and that's where this could really, I, I don't want to say backfire is the right word, but that's where the problems are going to happen. And I think hopefully at that point, just based on what the College Football Playoff Committee has done in the past, I think that they, they'll take in the body of work into consideration, but it won't be the end-all, be-all. I think if they see 5-0 and Ohio State winning by 40-plus points in every single game, then they're going to get in. And I don't think it'll be over a one-loss Georgia. I think a one-loss Georgia team or a two-loss in the SEC championship would still get in this year because I only see Clemson and Alabama as locks. Ohio State probably as close as you can be to a lock. But after Georgia, who really is has a chance to even get in? I mean, Penn State will be up there, but they'll have to win the Big Ten championship, I would assume. But I I think with Georgia only losing to Alabama and then losing again in the SEC championship, they're probably going to get in. What about Notre Dame? They got they got to play against Clemson. I guess they could with a one loss against Clemson. And I guess they'll have the ACC championship this year, right? Yeah, I I don't. Yeah, I'd have to look at it deeper. But again, that's one of the things that they're going to have to face potentially. What about Wisconsin? Wisconsin could be very good. Penn State could be very good. As you mentioned, obviously Ohio State's going to be very good. Somebody could jump up and go on a run. You know, you got a Minnesota team that all of a sudden gets hot. Who knows? Well, and think about this. If Ohio State's playing one of those teams, Justin Fields tests positive, all of a sudden you're using your backup quarterback for the next 21 days. That's going to be a big deal when there's only an eight-week season. So the Illini, Lovey Smith, they're back at it tonight. They kick off against Wisconsin. They're big underdogs in Madison. Remember, it was an upset against the Badgers that got them going a season ago. As far as looking back on, you know, last year, it was big for our program. We needed a signature win. They were highly ranked. We were able to, uh, you know, play good enough football to get, get the win that day. 
you know, going into a football season, as far as being disrespected, um, until we become a consistent winner, this is a position we'll be in quite a few times. It's not all bad to be the underdog when people don't have a lot of confidence in what they think you can be. But as I look at our football team, as we look at our football team, um, we made progress last year. We were able, we were a six win team. And I think we're a stronger football team right now. We lost a few guys, but for the most part, our best players are back and we've added uh, quite a few players. So we're excited about seeing exactly how we fit into the landscape in 2020. So we'll talk it over with Brian Barnhart. He is the voice of the Fighting Illini and they'll kick it off against Wisconsin. That'll be next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. From the middle of the field for James McCourt with four seconds left. Wisconsin 23, Illinois 21. The Badgers have no timeouts. They can't stop it. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. Pass Lewerke throws to it's intercepted, oh. picked off by Illinois. They're running the other way. Left sideline 40 30. It's going to be a pick six. Touchdown! Touchdown! Touchdown, Sydney Brown! Touchdown, Illinois! Oh my goodness! Take away! Touchdown! Holy smokes! Second and goal at the five. 23 seconds left. The Illini look into the Twenty seconds left. Seventeen seconds left. Fifteen seconds left. Down to ten. Peters rolls right. Looks to the end zone. Lob. Touchdown. He's got it. He's got a touchdown. Daniel Parker. Daniel Parker with five seconds left. Touchdown, Illinois. Peters looked and looked and looked and he finally found away from going bowling. Let's go! And look at the marching Illini holding a party in the corner with the Illini faithful in that corner off to our left. That's the voice of Brian Barnhart and he'll be behind the mic tonight. The voice of the Illini as they take on Wisconsin Big Ten football is back and always great to visit with Brian I wasn't sure, Brian, that we would have Big Ten football, but great to hear your voice. I hope you're doing well. Your family is safe and healthy, and uh, are you ready to go? Are you ready for Big Ten football? Well, thank you, Dan, for having me on with you. It's great to visit and catch up. Thanks for all your great work you do with with the Cardinals. Always enjoy your work all summer long, and I know this year was a little bizarre for you as well. And yeah, it's been bizarre this fall. I've uh, my my wife has been trying to find things for me to do because <laughs> on Saturday afternoons, first time in 20 years, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not at a football stadium in September, you know, I kept thinking I could, man, the, the weather's fantastic. We ought to be playing football. And that was really, really hard. And then it was even harder, I think. And you can appreciate this. You know, you're watching other games being played and your conference and your team's not playing. And that makes it extra hard. And so, yeah, even though it's late October and uh, the leaves are changing or about gone and we're going to be have some cold couple of months here of football, I'm just happy to be doing games of any kind, anywhere, however they want us to do it. How are you going to be doing the games? How are teams around the Big Ten going to be doing these games? Well, it kind of varies from place to place, Dan. Uh, Ohio State, interestingly, announced their radio crew is not going to any game as far as road games. And, of course, each team has eight games plus one, depending on where they finish in the standings. So for home games, we'll be in our home booth. Uh, There won't be any fans at any of the Big Ten games. So that'll help with the four games. We'll at least be in person, uh, basically limited to five people in our booth uh, for home games and basically go to the press box and stay there uh, and do the game and go road games for Wisconsin coming up tonight. uh, We'll be actually in person. We're not traveling with the team. They left yesterday. Normally they fly, and that's about a 40-minute flight normally. Uh, this time they drove seven buses up there to keep everybody socially distant and to, and to get the team up. Well, I'll drive up tomorrow after my, or today after my radio show and, and then uh, do the game, of course, tonight up in Madison. And uh, we'll just show up again in the booth, uh, get our credential, get temperature checked, go in. They told us to stay in the booth and not come out unless you need to use the restroom. And that's uh, basically what we'll do. A couple of road games, Nebraska, I think we're still deciding what to do with that. That's eight-hour, eight-hour, nine-hour drive. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Rutgers we're definitely doing in studio, which I know you're familiar with with the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, it's a different animal, that's for sure. In terms of, and as you can imagine, a lot of people St. Louis, alumni base in St. Louis for the Fighting Illini is vast. It's big. Um, they're excited about what Lovey Smith has coming back this year. The transfer portal is big for the Fighting Illini, and last year was a stepping stone in many ways in a positive direction. Um, What can they expect this year out of the Fighting Illini in the uniquest, uh, if that's the right word to describe it, but unique (laughs) circumstances of this football season? Well, absolutely, Dan, and the expectations were pretty high coming in. Even if you go back to the original schedule, they had three home games scheduled, I think Illinois State and Bowling Green and Connecticut, that they were expected to win. They were going to get off to a good start. Some people thought based on the start of the Big Ten original schedule, they could start as good as uh, as well as 5-0 and or 6-0. and uh, As it turns out, obviously those non-conference games are gone. Uh, they're starting uh, at Wisconsin, who's a perennial power in the Big Ten West, and you've got Ohio State at home on the schedule. Uh, so I think the, the expectations are still there for a good season here in this in this short season, but they were, they were pretty high because you got 25 seniors. They had 21 seniors combined the previous two years. So this group has grown up, they've matured, they've taken their lumps. And this was, uh, I know Lovey Smith for pointing to a really good, solid, nice bowl season uh, and contend for the big 10 West title uh, as everything played out. We'll see if that happens now with all that's happened, but you're right about the transfer portal. Uh, Joshy Matter Bebe came in last year from USC. He was huge, had some big catches uh, during the course of the year. Uh, you've got Luke Ford, who's a transfer from Georgia, young man from Carterville, Illinois, which I know you're probably familiar with. Sure. He's a highly touted young man coming in from Georgia, could not play last year, had to sit out. Uh, so those two guys are just tremendous receiver uh, or, or tight end in Luke Ford's case. 
Kamari Thompson came in from Missouri, Hightower, Brian Hightower from Miami of Florida. But uh, I would say the receivers are the deepest they've been in quite a while. You have a second-year quarterback transfer in Brandon Peters, who had a just got better as the year went on last year. Uh, and so offensively, with the special teams being solid, those are two areas that Illinois is really strong in go, starting the year, and that's why there's a lot of optimism. Brian Barnhart, voice of the Illini, my guest. How has Lovey done in terms of recruiting and getting into Missouri and specifically St. Louis? How do you think it's gone? It's gone pretty well. Of course, uh, one of his assistant coaches was there from uh, from Trinity Catholic that, that came up and uh, joined the staff, and and a uh, good, good, solid young coach. And, of course, Isaiah uh, Williams came out of there uh, from from St. Louis, and they've been able to get some guys from that area, uh, especially here in recent years uh, with the transition. I know Missouri went through getting into the Southeast Conference, and then the transfer of coaches, uh, the change there that was made with with Gary Pinkle and so forth. And so they've been able to make some inroads. And a lot of folks, a lot of parents, of course, remember when Lovey Smith was a defensive uh, coach coordinator down in St. Louis with the Rams and. So there's a lot of connections there. They worked that area very hard uh, and have, have had a lot of success here in recent years getting some kids out of there. I know Illinois and Missouri frequently, you know, clash over the kids trying to get them to come either way. And it kind of goes ebbs and flows with the success of the programs. But I think Lovey and his staff have, have made a concerted effort in St. Louis to to get the players they need out of there. Brian, it may be a tough question for you to answer. I know you love sports. You want to see the kids playing. How do the people along the Big 12 feel about football returning when they're kind of the last one standing along with the Pac-12 to get back into to college football? How, how do people generally feel about uh, the Big 10 coming back to play tonight? Well, I think they, they were upset a little bit because uh, I thought, you know, the Big 10 – um, in a way, kind of got in front in front of its own message or misstepped on their message. Initially, they didn't, uh, you know, they initially announced a schedule. We were going to play a schedule with, uh, you know, just Big Ten games only, as it turned out. And then, uh, then they came out a few days later and said they were going to hold off on fall sports for the rest of the time. And and then we didn't hear anything for a while. And then people kind of made their own assumptions. And I think if they had to do it over again, the conference might, with their messaging on this. You know, they kind of got the cart before the horse and then had to go back and say, no, we're not playing. And then here they are a few weeks later saying, yeah, we are going to play. Uh, so that that caused a lot of, um, I don't know, people just got upset over the, the back and forth on it. You know, it was either wait like the SEC did or wait like the Big 12 did a little bit, see how it plays out. They thought maybe, I think most fans thought they were a little premature uh, with their start. And that was a tough spot for Kevin Warren to be in. I mean, he comes in on the heels of, as you know, Dan, probably the one of the most powerful guys in collegiate sports and any sports uh, in Jim Delaney, and uh, obviously he has to deal with this COVID right out of the right out of the gun in the spring with the Big Ten tournament and the basketball season and and all of that happened. Uh, so it's not you know not his fault in that sense, but I think it was just tough for the league to to get their story out the way they wanted it. And as it turned out, the testing was improved. The chancellors and the presidents came through and. Uh, eventually said, hey, we can do this properly. Illinois has been on the forefront, the university has, with a saliva test that my daughter who goes to the U of I can get tested twice a week and have results in less than 12 hours. Uh, you know, And so they've really mastered that, not only at Illinois, but in other places. And so I think once they deemed it was safe, they got going, and I think they can they can go forward now. But uh, fans were getting a little anxious, I have to be honest, Dan. That, you know, They were looking at these other conferences going, okay, now can we get a team in the – 
in the in the college football playoff? Are we going to be a part of anything? How is this spring thing going to work? You know, are we going to be able to, are we going to be starting games in January? There was a lot of angst there, but I think once they settled on this late October start, they're still able to be a part of things. Uh, Ohio State in particular uh, at, at the top of the national consciousness uh, as far as football in the Big Ten. And so I think people are happy now it's getting started. It was, uh, you could tell there was a definite step, uh, lift in the step of people around Champaign and I know around the Big Ten when, they said, yeah, we're going to start. We've got a date. We're going to do it. You did lead me into my next question. How is it going, going for the student-athletes at Illinois? It's going great. Uh, you know, they they test every day. I know they've got about a as a tight a bubble as you can, considering, you know, they're, they're students, and a lot of the students are doing uh, remote uh, learning at Illinois. Um, most of the classes are that way. So they've been able to keep a pretty tight rein on things, and, you know, uh, to get into the oven center, for instance, where basketball practices, I mean, you got to jump through all kinds of hoops to even get in uh, to watch. So uh, the players get tested every day. They've had pretty, you know, pretty limited uh, issues with it. And, uh, you know, I think, again, being at Illinois, we're in a great spot here because the, the methods they've come up with to test and get results and screen everybody has been really, really effective. And final question, uh, not to put you on the spot, but I get to put you on the spot. So uh, eight games, uh, what do you think? How, how good can the Illini be this year? Well, they can be very good. Uh, you know, the schedule, they, they do the, the two games they play. Uh, well, one of the crossover games is Ohio State at home. Uh, that's obviously a, a tall order. You do play the other one at Rutgers. Uh, that's certainly uh, in the empty stadiums. Who knows that home field advantage is is gone uh, as far as that goes. And we're going to see that I think tonight. You know, normally you've got eighty thousand Badger fans wearing red. They're doing the fourth the quarter jump around. It's a it's a really intimidating atmosphere, and that won't be there. I mean, it's going to be an empty stadium, and so uh, I think that certainly works to Illinois' advantage. Uh, they've got the experience on offense on the offensive line. Uh, secondary is deep and experienced. Still some questions with the defensive line, but, um, you know, you've got Wisconsin, you've got, um, you know, Minnesota, Purdue. Uh, those are all toss-up games that certainly, um, you know, they, they beat Purdue last year. Uh, this is a team that could finish over 500 and maybe a couple of games above uh, uh, if everything works uh, the way you think it can with this team. But I'll uh, paraphrase all that or uh, parentheses all that, Dan, by saying, you know, as you found out with the Cardinals this year, you never know. You never know. Uh, you know, what happens if there's a COVID outbreak? What happens if uh, this happens or that happens? It's been so unpredictable all year that, uh, you know, in, in most normal situations, you might have a clue as to where you're headed. But uh, but I think optimistically, they are. They have a potential here to, to have a really, really good season. You do such a great job. Can't wait to listen in tonight. And uh, thank you so much for your time and good luck this season. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate you, and uh, thanks for having me on anytime. You got it. That's Brian Barnhart. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Some of the uh, text line questions, we got a bunch of them today. One was on Tyler O'Neill. Danny Mack, are you surprised that he is a finalist for the Gold Glove? Little bit. Uh, he did win a Gold Glove down in the minor leagues, so he is known for that. And if you're going strictly on the stats, the one thing that he's got is elite speed, which may surprise you. He's as strong as anybody in baseball, but he has electrifying speed. 
Doesn't take into account jumps, those kind of things. He has makeup speed. That is one thing he's got. So he's going to get to a lot of balls. I was told by a member of the Cardinals coaching staff a couple of years ago that this guy is as good a defender in the minor leagues as you're going to find. We just haven't seen that at the major league level. And if you're just going purely on the stats, Tyler O'Neill is a guy that gets to a lot of balls. Now we need to see him match that with what he could do offensively. Didn't see that this year. Danny Mack, who's your rotation next year? Good question. I'm going to include Wayno coming back. Uh, like to see it, want to see it. I think the Cardinals, with the way that the postseason is played out, you can't have enough pitching. It's a gauntlet of a schedule to get through. So if you got Wayno coming back, you got Flaherty, you got Kim, you got Michaelis, and then there's a host of guys that you're thinking about. Uh, Ponce de Leon, Gomber. I love having another lefty potentially in your rotation. The, the real miss in this rotation and I don't think it's gotten talked about enough is the loss of Dakota Hudson take every fifth day and really has come into his own and unfortunately he's going to have Tommy John he's just not outspoken he's not boisterous he's not you know a guy flailing all over the place out on the mound and pumping his fist but he just gets the job done that is a massive loss that should not be overlooked for the Cardinals so they do have to think about how they replace that in their rotation and it's going to be a host of people that you look at and so if i'm the cardinals i'm telling helsley reyes ponce gomber i'll throw carlos martinez in there even though i want to see him in the bullpen i think his days of starting are done for me i'm telling them all just get prepared as a starter and then we'll shake it out in spring training you're looking at me like i'm crazy what do you got no i'm with you dan i i totally agree i think that's how you do it um and if Carlos is back with the Cardinals, he's got to be in the bullpen. He's got to. Could give you multiple innings potentially. Maybe he's your closer. And I've got to see his velocity get back up. His velocity as a starter was down. He was getting beat up. I want to see his velocity back up. Well, and besides the fact that he's dominant in the bullpen, you got some guys that you want to see if they can be in the rotation. Carlos has had a chance, and recently it just hasn't been good enough. You assume that Austin Gomber or somebody else to replace him could probably put up the same numbers or better. I'm concerned about Michaelis. I'm assuming he's going to be okay. Um, but again, these are guys coming off of injury. And so you got to treat them with kid gloves, so to speak. I'm intrigued with Libertor. Obviously, I don't think he breaks camp next year because you don't know what you got in the satellite camp this year. I'm also intrigued with Nolan Gorman. I want to see where he's at in spring training. See what you got maybe next year. Uh, if the track record was going in a normal projection of what his you know trajectory might look like you know i would say by the end of next season maybe you're looking at a nolan gorman maybe a matthew libertor those kind of players so that would would intrigue me looking ahead to 2021 and this offseason is going to be fascinating around major league baseball so we'll see weekend is here ribs and bk coming up and We'll have the crossover in just a moment here on 101 ESPN. Got to tell you about my new favorite NFL bet this season. Been playing same game parlays, FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook. A lot of fun. Pretty simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from one game into a single parlay. That way the payouts are even bigger when you win. What's cool too is FanDuel will refund the first game, a same game parlay you lose on any NFL game each week up to $10. And that means you can bet a different parlay risk-free every NFL week all season long. If you pick and like my picks, go ahead and bet them. 
you will get 10 bucks back even if we don't win. Now, there's a catch. FanDuel is the only sportsbook app that has same-game parlay bets. You may have heard that Illinois is requiring new users to create their accounts in person, but for a limited time, that requirement has been waived, so act fast. Sign up right from the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app before it's too late. If you already have a FanDuel account, just use the promo code WXOS when you sign up so they know I sent you. That's WXOS. WXOS, 21 and older, present in Illinois and Indiana. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, $10. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Rich and BK coming up. The uh, weekend is here and you have one of my favorite. One Mark Saxon and Saxy will bring the heat on Cardinal baseball coming up. That's what we have. Jamie Rivers. That's one of your guests. Always good morning to you on a Friday. Good morning to you, Dan. Fire up for Saxy, baby. Yeah, he's my favorite. Big Saxy's. Big Saxy. He's awesome. And we're certainly going to talk about uh, some of the gold glove stuff that's going on. What'd you think? Um, I certainly thought that the that Goldschmidt and Wong, I, I expected to see those names. I did not expect to see Tyler O'Neill, but I really, really did expect to see Yachty. And so I want to dive into that a little bit today, too. When you go with just the numbers, the numbers speak for themselves. It's It's just kind of black or white. You know, those are the numbers. They are what they are. And when you're not dealing with humans having a vote and saying, hey, yeah. by the way, here's why this guy is so important, because he controls a running game and you don't run against him and he makes you think about this and he controls a pitching staff um, and you eliminate that portion of the vote, then all of a sudden it becomes a different issue. I just see it. And BK and I kind of had the same thought. We see it as... Yachty's defense is what's going to nudge him into the Hall of Fame. For sure. And if you When you think a, of Yachty, you think defense. And if you're you know, if the gold gloves mount up and mount up and mount up, then you're like, you know what? This is a no brainer. And I just hate to see somebody out there have a question mark about Yachty going to the Hall of Fame because, well, he didn't get ten gold gloves. I, I think um when he got that hit number two thousand this year. I think that solidified it, but it's so. certainly every time you add another gold glove or a platinum glove or uh, another world championship, those kind of things, it's always just another notch in the belt, right? Absolutely. It helps. So anyway, have a great weekend. Have a great show. Thank Scotty, you. Scotty, great job. And this is 101 ESPN.